Welcome, friends, to another Restoration Church Live podcast. Uh, you'll obviously notice that I've gotten out of the habit of doing these more regularly. Um, the point of that really is to no longer be a slave to the schedule, to kind of creatively force conversations every two weeks, but instead just do these things as not even so much needed, but as helpful. And hopefully this will be helpful because many of you are going home. Tis the season. It is Christmas time in the city. And so as a result of that, many of you will be going to spend time with families and uh, sometimes friends uh, that you know and love. And when we do that, as I've heard from you, many of you wind up having conversations that are just tough. They're hard. You being a serious, committed Christian, desiring to love Jesus and to love neighbor, um, have convictions about certain things. And uh, Jesus tells us to make disciples. He commands us to do so, to help other people follow Jesus, to know and to enjoy his good and gracious rule, to come up under that. And so our family members, our friends can know that about us. Hopefully they do know that about us. And so either we are trying to call them to obedience to Jesus in a certain area, uh, or they kind of thrust themselves into a, into a conversation with us. There are times in the midst of that that we can be immobilized. We kind of feel immobilized. We don't know what to say. Sometimes it's fear, you know, which could be sinful, you know, just that, well, I don't want to upset somebody or I don't want to uh, rock the boat. I don't want to be seen a certain way. I don't want to be rejected. And so we shrink back from the opportunity to speak the truth. Uh, but again, oftentimes it's coming from a place of, uh, well, I'm not sure how to say or what to say in this moment. And so the purpose of this podcast is just to share with you a little system that works for me. Maybe it'll work for you as you go back at Christmas time and have some of these conversations. And, you know, maybe mom is watching a certain news uh, channel and they talk about a very controversial topic and they turn to you because they know that you love Jesus and are trying to follow the Bible. And so they ask you and you know, it's going to be a tough conversation and you don't know where to start. Or, you know, maybe you're out with an old buddy back home and you're sitting out having dinner and You know, you're talking about, you know, what you've been learning through the book of Kings and they start asking you questions about politics since you brought Kings up, you know, and you don't know how to navigate that. So the point of this podcast will be to just share with you the the system that works for me. Maybe it'll work for you. But uh, I shared this on one of the very first podcasts we did in this. Uh, I call it DABIC. It's an acronym. D-A-B-A-C. So I'm just going to walk through that. Uh, As you think about that moment, when the conversation comes up, it's something politically, theologically, philosophically, educationally uh, charged, whatever it may be, and you're wondering how to navigate it. What do I do? What do I say? Um, Well, DABIC. So the first is the letter D. You start by getting them to define their terms. So if they say to you, you know, you know, Nathan, you as a Christian, don't you, don't you believe that, uh, We should love everybody, you know. (laughs) Uh, Don't you love how those comments are framed? You know, like, no, I don't think we should love everybody. So uh, I would would respond by saying, well, well, friend, what do you mean by love? Like, can you define that for me? What do you mean by that? Uh, And so defining terms, a very frequent one is going to be love. You need to have a good definition of love. Um, So love is not just an emotion. Love is not just being nice to everybody. Right. Love, I would say from first John four 
Love is choosing to excite life in another at the cost to self. Um, but nevertheless, words like love are common. Words like freedom are common. Uh, words like, uh, uh, what else? Uh, I don't know. There's others. Those are, those are at least a couple. Love and freedom come up a lot. Um, and so you need to have people define what they mean by certain words. Don't just assume that, they, that everybody knows what uh, they mean. Because the reality is you might make a lot of headway by just asking them to define their terms. You know, so when you say Jesus, which Jesus are you talking about? Well, the Jesus of the Bible. What do you believe about the Bible? What's the Bible? You know, this kind of thing. So defining their terms. And that, that takes the conversation so clearly um, when we just get them to define their terms. So ask them what they mean by certain words or phrases. Just ask what they mean. Uh, questions, by the way, is often what Jesus did. Questions are a great way to really promote good conversation instead of just preaching at them try to draw them out okay define terms d dabic d a the letter a <clears throat> this is the the letter a here is referencing the word authority what's their source of authority what source of authority are they presuming there's four ma- four main sources of authority and by sources of authority i mean the final authority that the person appeals to in order to determine truth Okay, so for us, there's four main sources of authority. For us, it's scripture, right? At the, at the end of the day, we're going to appeal to the Bible as to what God says uh, in his word. That's our final authority. So Christ is the king. He's our final authority. And we look to his word as our final authority. There's three other ones that are pretty popular in our context and that really around the world. Uh, sometimes people's final authority is reason. You know, if they can't reason it out, if it doesn't make reasonable sense, you can't kind of philosophically work through it and come to a conclusion. Therefore, it can't be true. This is why Thomas Jefferson cut out all the miracles in the Bible, because his source of authority was his reason. Therefore, since a miracle cannot be explained, it cannot be true. It's made up. So sometimes people's source of authority is reason. Uh, So scripture, reason, tradition is a third one. So if you were to go into a Muslim context in particular, or maybe a Roman Catholic context or a Jewish context, sometimes people, or even, even some, sometimes in our own Protestant context, people are going to appeal to tradition. Tradition meaning, well, this is, this is just the way that we've always done this. You know, this is the way that we do this. This is what we do, right? Whatever that might be, uh, could be tradition. Uh, so they appeal to tradition as their final authority. Uh, and then finally, the last main source of authority is experience now this is a major one in american life now so i would say this is the it used to be probably 10 15 years ago reason used to be the not more common uh appeal to authority but now it's more uh, experience and so therefore i feel this way or i i want this or this has been my experience this happened to me therefore this must be true so they're appealing to their experience whether it be their feelings whether it be their something that happened to them or something they've seen what is true for them is what they experience. Now, obviously, what we need to do is then evaluate the reliability of that authority. So we've defined the terms. We've come to the sources of authority. What are they finally appealing to for truth? And we know that our reason is flawed. We know our traditions are flawed. We know our experiences are flawed, but the Bible is not flawed. We understand it to be inerrant. Uh, and so because it's made of God, it's, it's God's word. And so that's why we appeal to it. Doesn't mean we don't have some questions about the Bible, etc. But nevertheless, 
help them see what their final authority is. And you need to understand what their final authority is and help them see that that ultimate authority, if you're, a, if you're, if you're resting your argument for what's true and good and right upon uh, either tradition, experience, or reason, then they are relying upon something that cannot be fully and finally trusted. And I want to be clear about something. That doesn't mean that since we believe Scripture is our final authority, we don't employ reason and tradition and experience. Of course we do. We do this every week, right? We have all kinds of traditions. We're regularly engaging reason. And uh, and of course, we do want to help understand our experiences in light of Scripture. So, all right, Dabak, what do you mean by that, etc.? What are you appealing to in order to make that true? Sources of authority. That's a letter A. And then B, this is the one you probably thought of. B, what does the Bible say? So whatever it is you're talking about, try to think through your in your mind. All right, what does the Bible say about that? If it's about homosexuality, what does the Bible say about that? If it's about, you know, some aspect of war, you know, what does the Bible say about that? Uh, if it has some aspect of parenting, what does the Bible say about that? It has something about gender. What does the Bible say about that? And uh, again, this is probably where some of you get stuck because you can't immediately call, you know, scriptures directly to mind. But I can tell you that you're going to get a lot of work done uh, in those first couple chapters, just knowing right inside of there where God set up the world. You're going to get a lot of help there. But you will you do want to have a few verses that are close to, to mind. So uh, if you want to understand the gospel, right, Ephesians 2, 1 to 10, if you clear gospel, the nature of humanity is dead, first three verses, what God did in Christ, um, these I am statements we're going through are really clear about who Jesus, not only who the Bible says he is or Christians say they are, but who Jesus himself thinks he is. So that's some verses there. Love passages, 1 John 4, so helpful there. That's the whole God is love and it defines it as the gospel. Um, you know, gender, Genesis 1. Anyway, what does the Bible say? And if you know that you're going to have conversations with a family member about a particular topic because they're kind of prone towards that, well, then try before you go home, try to read up on some of that stuff. Find a short article on the Gospel Coalition. Email me. I'll send you something. Um, yeah. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? That's the letter B as in boy. So D, A, B, and then another A. Sometimes we can't remember in the moment. You know, this is true for me sometimes. I don't, I can't remember exactly, you know, what chapter and verse I can appeal to for a conversation about this. Uh, and so what I'll then do is I then will uh, ask myself the question, what does the atonement say? There's the letter A, Dabak, D-A-B-A, atonement. What does the atonement say? Or another way of saying that, what does the gospel say? Uh, and so what does the atonement say about this? If somebody says, for instance, if they're saying that, like, you know, people should just be able to do whatever they want to do, right? We as, you know, Christians or whatever shouldn't be telling people so-and-so is right and wrong. Well, I'd say, first of all, that is actually what you just did there is you just told me something's right or wrong. But secondly, um, if it's true that Jesus died on the cross for sin, well, therefore, sin is actually a pretty big deal, right? God was willing to risk his, or not risk, give his son in order to pay for sin. So that you see how I use the atonement there. Um, if somebody is talking about, um, I'm trying to think of another 
Yes. Well, just going back to that, if somebody is, whatever the issue is, you want them to see how serious God takes sin. If there's something that is right in the eyes of God and there's something wrong in the eyes of God and Jesus has died and risen so as to make that which is wrong right. And so therefore we can't and shouldn't say that Christians should approve a certain uh, thing if in fact God says it's wrong. In fact, he died so as to help pay for those sins and bring us into the right by the power of his spirit. And so there's so many things that the gospel will actually inform for us if we can't figure out what chapter and verse to say. Just think, how does Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection answer this question, answer this controversial topic? How does it speak to us? How can it inform this conversation? That's the A. What does the atonement say? Okay, Dabak. Define the terms. What's the source of authority? B, what does the Bible say? Then what does the atonement say? And then the final one is the letter C. What does the church, or what has the church said? In other words, what have Christians said for 2,000 years about this, whatever this is? Uh, and so just try to think through what has Christians said for 2,000 years? So uh, this is one of the things that, are been, that has been so helpful to me is just to try to, I don't, I don't appeal to what the church has said, what Christians have said as my final authority as Roman Catholics do. However, I do see how Christians have thought about this uh, across space and time and geographic place. I've, I'm helped in knowing that I'm, if I'm deviating from something that for the last 2,000 years that Christians have by and large not thought, then the problem is on me. I have the burden of proof to explain why it's better to deviate from what Christians have been believing for the t- past 2,000 years, um, as opposed to falling in line with what Christians have generally believed for 2,000 years. So, um, you know, as, a perfect, as an example of this... Um, uh, Christians have believed um, that marriage was between a man and a woman, right? So that's what Christians have believed across, whether you're a Christian on the continent of Africa or you're a Christian in South Asia or you're a Christian in Western uh, Europe or you're a Christian in South America or in, or, or in the United States of America. Christians have always believed that. Back in 1000, back in the year 800, back in the year and here even today, in the year 2000, believe it or not. That's still the case. And so that helps me see that, all right, whatever it is we're talking about in this conversation right here, the burden of proof, if I'm in line with what Christians have generally believed about something, if I'm, if I'm in line with what Christians have believed, the burden of proof is not on me. It's really on the opposite position. They have to be the ones that, to go against what Christians have been believing across space and time for 2,000 years. And so uh, that, that doesn't always answer the question, right? There's been some things over the course of years that you know, Christians have sometimes uh, disagreed over 2,000 years about war. And uh, sometimes they've you know, had struggle. They've struggled to try to come to uh, a consistent understanding of, you know, uh, obviously baptism is an issue, right? But uh, nevertheless, uh, looking at what Christians have believed for 2,000 years really kind of orients it doesn't define, but it helps orient where the burden of proof lies in the controversial discussion. Okay, so there we go. Dabak. That's what I'm doing in my head when I'm having these conversations. I'm defining the terms. I'm having them to define the terms, or sometimes I'll define the terms. Asking, I'm trying to evaluate what their source of authority is and then showing them that we can't rely on that thing if it's outside of Scripture because that thing is ultimately unreliable. And then uh, B, what does the Bible say? A, what does uh, the atonement say? C, what have Christians said? Okay, uh, 
Two other things before, and I'm done. Two more things. Sometimes I've talked to some of you and I've heard this from you. Sometimes it seems as though you might've done all of that right. And it seems like the conversation went terrible or uh, you didn't change their minds, you know, and they just kind of resisted nonetheless. And some of you have done all that and you've been tempted to believe that it was a failure. Well, beloved, remember, it is not our job to change people's hearts. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. Our reliance is not upon our own rhetoric. It's not upon ourselves. It's upon Christ, right? And the power of his spirit to bring about change in their minds and so in their hearts and minds. So just remember, success is not winning the conversation. Success is not necessarily even conversion to your position as such. Although we want that, right? Success is simply being faithful to Jesus, our King and our great reward, our beloved Right. That's, that's what success is. So you, you can, you could very possibly do everything right and it go terrible, but that doesn't mean that you did something wrong. So take encouragement in knowing that your job is simply to be like the farmer that goes into the field, as Jesus says, and scatters the seed and he goes to sleep and it has, and the earth produces fruit. And Jesus says, and he knows not how our job is to be farmers that just plant That's it. God has to be the one to bring the growth. So success in these conversations is not winning, quote unquote. Success is just being faithful. Also, I would throw one more thing in here to remember in these these difficult conversations. Remember, there are definitely times to unengage or not engage at all regarding controversial or difficult topics. You may be surprised to hear me say that. Uh, But I'm struck. I'm going through devotionally now through... Uh, the book of Luke, and I'm struck at the, the numerous amounts of times when Jesus just doesn't answer questions. I was thinking about Herod in Luke 23 when Herod questions him, and Jesus says nothing. He doesn't say a single word uh, because they know that he just wants them to enter, be entertained by them. So Jesus doesn't answer a single question. Uh, we know that uh, Jesus teaches that you should not throw pearls to swine. In other words, Uh, I think what the principle here is, is that if you know that people are just into this conversation for controversy, or if you you have a high level of confidence that these people are not interested in changing, they're just interested in having a controversial conversation, then I would say feel the freedom to just not engage at all. Um, And so uh, don't throw pearls to swine. Titus 3.10 makes very clear, after warning a divisive person once, then twice, Uh, Paul says to Timothy, have nothing more to do with them. So there's a sense in which there's the kinds of people where Jesus would have us to simply either not engage or just unengage from the conversation when it becomes clear they're not interested in the truth. They're only interested in trying to beat you or slander you or make you feel bad or whatever the case may be. So just know there's freedom in not engaging or unengaging from a conversation when it becomes apparent that that person really is not interested in the truth. So hopefully it gives you some peace and confidence in that. Uh, We should still be endeavoring. You should pray for them, you know, definitely pray for them and uh, ask the Lord to give you opportunities to speak the truth, but uh, don't feel the, uh, don't feel the need to try to engage in every conversation when it's clear they don't want to really know the truth. All right. Well, guys, hopefully that's helpful to you as you go back to your homes spend time with your families and definitely on the way there. If you know, these kinds of conversations are going to happen, guys, please pray in advance. 
there are times which I know I'm going to run into people and on the way there, I'm driving there and I just say, Lord, please help me to represent Christ well. Lord, I pray for them. I ask that they would be given eyes to see the truth of Christ, the beauty of Christ, the glory of Christ. And by the way, I should add that one thing. Don't just stand for what is true. Help them see why it's glorious, why it's good, why it's beautiful. You know, one thing we try to do at Restoration Church is not just tell you what is true, but we want you to see why it's true. Namely, we want you to see the goodness, the righteousness, the beauty behind that thing that God says is good, right, and true. Love does not rejoice uh, in evil, right? Love does not rejoice in lies. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing. Love rejoices in the truth, 1 Corinthians 6, 13, 6. And so pray that people, that you would love the truth, that you would stand for the truth and do it lovingly, and then ask the Lord to have them do the same in advance of the conversation. And then after the conversation, pray the same. And sometimes, guys, in the middle of the conversation, pray as well, just internally. Lord, help me to love here in your mind. Lord, help me to love. Lord, I don't know what to say here, right? How do I, how do I work through? You're working through Dabak. And what does the Bible say? I'm not sure. All right, let me go down to the atonement. God, help me. Help me, help me, help me. Help me. So do that. Pray a lot, okay? Guys, hope this has been helpful to you. Uh, I pray that, uh, I look forward to hearing stories of grace and mercy uh, on the backside of many of your time away. Uh, So stand for Jesus, stand for the glory of Christ, do so winsomely, beautifully, and compellingly. I pray you would uh, enjoy. Have a good time. Bring back, uh, you know, Bring back some good story that you can share with the rest of the group about how Jesus met you. All right. Love you guys. God bless you. Talk to you soon.